morning, my family and friends. Uh, my name is Gao Ji. Um, I'm going to do scripture reading today uh, from Luke chapter 18, verses 1 to 8. If you have your device or Bible in front of you under the chair or your own Bible, please, I invite you to open the Bible of Luke chapter 18, verse 1 to 8. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while, he refused. But afterward, he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that he will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I will, I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. How are you guys? Good, good, good. Well, a little bit of a backstory about me. About 10 years ago, nine years ago or so, I got to know your pastor, Andrew, and I was praying about where to church plant. And we were thinking LA, we were thinking Portland, or we were thinking the Sacramento area. And so a buddy of mine knew Andrew, and I came up to Sacramento to kind of pray and scout it out. And I met Andrew, my friend introduced us. And he said to me that he had been praying every Wednesday, praying and fasting, that God would lead somebody to Sacramento, to the urban area, to plant. And so that was a confirmation for my wife and I. And I think it was shortly thereafter, a few weeks after that, I visited you guys when you were still over at the middle school over in Berkeley area, Albany. So anyways, uh, I've known Andrew for a while. I've known Miguel for about the same amount of time. And Paul and I have gotten to know each other over the last few years. And I've been praying for you guys. I've been praying for you guys weekly, daily sometimes. Um, this is a tough season that you guys are in. And um, I think people sometimes want to be a part of churches when they're not in a tough season. They want to be a part of a church that's fun, right? With all the bells and whistles. We want to be a part of churches that are in seasons of fruitfulness and reaping. But there, it's just a reality that we as individuals and then we as churches, we're, we, we got to go through tough seasons as well. And you know personally that it's like I don't typically hear people pray individually, God, take me through a tough season. Like, I just want to grow. Like, I don't hear people ask for that. But we know that when we go through those tough seasons, we look back on them and we're like, okay, I don't want to necessarily go through that again, but God, you were really good during that time. And I grew in ways that I wouldn't have grown had I not gone through that, right? 
So could it be that this season for Solano is going to be maybe one of its best? Could, it, could that be? Like, what if we were to believe that? So, I mean, I know you guys had these plans of going through this capital campaign and maybe whatever else, some outreaches and different events and things like that. Okay, so all of that could have been good and would have been good, but could this not be even better? That it's a time where you guys really grow in a way that you couldn't have grown if you had a lead pastor in place right now. Because when the Bible talks about trials, I mean, I hate these passages. Let me, like, James 1, count it all joy, brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. Okay, first, that one verse alone is pretty hard to do. Count it joy when you face trials. For you know, it says, that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. When does that happen? Trials, right? So you can expect something really cool to happen with your faith during this season as a body of believers, and you're not in it alone. Like, you get to look at each other and be like, it's tough right now. Like, Solano's different right now, but like, this is good. Like, this is something God is in. God wants to do something not only in me, but we together. First Peter It says, in this you rejoice, there's that word again, having joy, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus. So, we know from these passages and others, tough seasons make us stronger, And how do they make us stronger? You just think about it. It's like when you go through tough times, you really do see the words of Scripture come alive. You see the promises of God tangibly. You see the goodness and faithfulness of God. Like Job says at the end of his life, and what you guys are going through is nothing compared to Job, but Job said, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. So could this not be just one of the sweetest seasons for Solano, where God just makes your faith refined and robust? So let's believe that to be true. So what I want to talk about today is prayer, and I want to talk about this idea of faith, this faith that God wants us to have. And you guys read earlier in Mark 4, that boat scenario, Okay, the waves are crashing. Jesus wakes up. He says, are you so still afraid? And then he says, have you still no faith? There's something that Jesus, in all the different interactions that he had, he would either highlight people's faith or their lack of faith. So for example, Jesus with the paralytic, it says, when he saw them, he saw their faith and he said, man, your sins are forgiven. Or the centurion's faith, he says, I tell you, not even in all of Israel have I found such faith. Or the woman with the alabaster flask, he says, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Or the woman with the discharge, he says, daughter, your faith has made you well, go in peace. Or the leprous man, rise, go your way, your faith has made you well. Or the blind beggar, recover your sight, your faith has made you well. There's something about faith that Jesus is looking for. And oftentimes when we find ourselves in desperate situations, what bubbles up to the surface is either our doubt or our faith. 
And in all these situations with the paralytic, the leprous man, the, the blind beggar, they were in these desperate situations. And so what I want to talk to you about today is how desperate situations make us more dependent upon God. So think about that. When we're in desperate situations, it just causes us at times to loosen our grip on the things of the world that we found security in and tighten our grip on the things of God. But let's be honest, do any of you guys like desperate situations? I don't, like... I avoid them. Like, I don't like going to the doctor. I hate going to the doctor. I met Derek this morning. He's a nurse. Like, he didn't make me nervous. But like, when I'm around <laughs> doctors, I'm like, you're going to find something wrong with me. Or planes. I have to fly a lot more now in my new role. I don't like planes. Like, turbulence, I hate. I have some of the best prayer times on planes when it's just <laughs> shaking. So we love, I love to create stability and safety and security in my lives. And sometimes I just, I steady myself with relationships, with friends, with family, with my job, things like that. And I feel good because I'm like, I, I have security in all these people and things. But then what God does sometimes is he causes things to happen to shake us up, to show us that we need him and that those things that we kind of found our stability in are really not that stable. So what I want to do is I want to look at this passage that was just read in Luke because I think this widow gives us a great window into how he wants us to live daily, how we can develop a posture of prayerful dependence. So if you have your Bibles, let's go there. Luke chapter 18, we're going to look at the first three verses. It says this, he, Jesus, told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. All right, so let's just stop right there. So some of the parables that you read of Jesus, you're like, I have no idea what he was saying. Like, there's some parables I look in this, at in scripture, I'm like, that was a really roundabout way to make that point. Well, here, Jesus out of the gate, he's like, hey, I'm going to make it crystal clear for you. This is exactly what I'm trying to explain to you in this parable. These two things. I want you, number one, to know you're always to pray, and number two, not lose heart, not lose faith. So, First thing, we're ought always to pray. Pray continually without ceasing, constantly. And then not to lose heart. That one's hard. To not give up, not lose faith. Because there's times where we feel like giving up or where we feel like not praying anymore, right? Maybe you just think about a situation you're in, like, or you know of a situation, like a wife with her husband, and they're just like, she's thinking, it will never change. Or I've heard a friend of mine say, he's just like, he was in this hopeless situation. He said, things are never going to change. Things are never going to get better. Or you think about a health situation. You're like, I will never feel normal again. Or there's two marriages in our church that are falling apart. And I've thought to myself, I'm like, I don't, I'm not going to tell them this. Hopefully they don't watch this recording, but like, 
I don't know that it's going to get, but I just, I don't see change happening. And I've watched God in my life lead me to those places of disbelief to say, oh, watch out, watch what I'm going to do. He's taken to me those places of where like, okay, so now you have no place else to turn. You got no pastoral cute tricks to throw out or verses to quote or wisdom to share. Like right now, it's desperate, right? Right now, there's no one else, not even yourself, no one to depend up. Like now, in that moment, now I'm going to step in. You ready? But we do find ourselves in places where we sometimes lose heart. Now, look at this, one, this woman, this widow. Says first of the judge, he neither feared God nor respected man. He had no fear of God. He was this arrogant, proud, independent, pompous, overconfident dude. He was a judge called to uphold the law, but he felt no obligation to God's law. He was a law in and of himself. And then it says, Not only did he not fear God, but he had no fear of man, no respect of man. He was selfish, he was callous, insensitive, he was heartless. He, no matter what was before him, even this widow in this desperate situation, he had no pity, no compassion. Even though the law said, the law says in Exodus, Deuteronomy, Isaiah, that we are to care for the needs of the widow. We're to show mercy, he could care less. So, Terrible situation. This judge who doesn't care about anyone or anything, not even God himself, is there. And then you have this widow that comes and is commanding and demanding, give me justice. So she's in this desperate situation. A widow in that time was somebody that wasn't just without a husband. It was somebody who was completely alone, didn't even have a family member. In those days, courts belonged to men. Women would not go to court. So to find a woman in court meant that there was not a single man in her life to plead her case. So this is like the worst case scenario. So I want you guys to think of a situation in your life where you're like, there is no one else I can go to. There is nothing else I can do. This is where this woman was at. She knew that the only place she could go was this judge. And this dude had a reputation of not fearing God and not respecting man. Have you ever been in that scenario where you're like, God, like literally I have no one else to go to. There is no one else that can answer it. So I'm going to plead with you. I'm just going to come before you continually because you've got to come through. This is where this woman was at. It says, for a while Verse four, for a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, he was a self-aware man, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I'm gonna give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. This word in the Greek is like a boxing term. It means to be like hit in the eye, hitting, hit, to strike someone full blow in the eye. This woman was bothering him, irritating him. She was an intolerable annoyance. And because of his self-love for himself, he's like, you know what? I'm going to answer this request because I'm so tired of seeing her. I'm so tired of hearing about it. 
Okay, this is like a weird parable that Jesus is sharing with us to teach us about prayer. But this is very similar to another story that Jesus shared. When Jesus was asked earlier in Luke, how do we pray? The disciples asked him, how do we pray? And then you have the the Lord's prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom. You know that, Luke 11? Well, right after Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he shares a very similar story to this one that we're looking at. Look at Luke 11. We'll put it here on the screen. He said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread? For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him and he And he will answer him from within, don't bother me. There's that word again. The door is now shut. My children are in bed with me. I cannot get up and give you anything. But I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is a friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Very similar story. These two people, the widow and the woman, or the, 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 the widow and the friend, both in these desperate situations, needing help. They go to somebody, they go to the only person that they know to for help. And then because of their persistence, their need is met. So Luke 11 goes on, before we'll jump back. It says, Luke 11, and I tell you, so in light of this, ask, it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. So we read these, in, these stories, and we think maybe initially, okay, so what I need to do is I need to bother God. That's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to bother him. I'm going to be like this widow, and I'm just going to beat God down. I'm going to come, and I'm just going to hit God in the face with these requests. And eventually, when he's so tired of me, he'll answer my prayers. That's what we're going to do. So that prayer rally that you're going to have at Easter, you're just going to come, and you're just going to bother God until he's annoyed, and he's like, oh, my word, will you kids of mine just stop asking? You guys are so annoying. Is that what he's saying? I mean, you could go there and just, I mean, it seems to be implying that. In fact, it says here, like, we're to ask, we're to seek, we're to knock. We're like, like a little kid. Like, I have kids. They're 13, 15, and 17 now. They're, they're a little more creative, but like, they're still like five-year-olds, like, give me, give me, give me, give me, and fine, fine, I'll give it to you. Is that what we're supposed to do? Just continually ask and annoy God. I wouldn't say that's the purpose of this story. We got to remember the heart of God. The heart of God is nothing like this judge. The heart of God is nothing like this friend in bed that's bothered that we're crying out to him in the middle of the night. What it says here in Luke 11, and then we'll go back to Luke 18. It says, what father among you, if his son asks for fish, will instead give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So the difference in this story is the friend here is bothered, and now going back to Luke 18, the judge is annoyed, but our father is not annoyed. Our father is not bothered. The purpose of this story, as we're going to see, it's all about us believing in this God, coming to him, 
persistently, but we're coming persistently because we have a big belief in this God. So look what it says in verse six, back in Luke 18. It says, the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. So listen to what the unrighteous judge did. Now, consider God. Will not God give justice to his elect, his children, who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? No. I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So the purpose of this story is not that we would pray more necessarily, not that we would bother God and plead and try to annoy him to like bend his arm to get him to do what we want, but he's looking for people that have faith like this widow that are in these desperate situations who will cry out to him day and night. Have you guys found yourself at times in your life where you're just desperate, where you've tried other things and it hasn't worked. You're like, okay, God, I knew I needed to come to you initially, but I didn't. I confess that as sin. But God, here I am now. Like, I need you. Years ago, a neighbor friend of mine who I was sharing the gospel with, and he he liked my wife and I. We were newly married. We had a new son. He liked hanging out with us. But every time I brought up Jesus, he didn't want everything to do with it. In fact, at times, I'd look out my apartment window and the J-dubs would show up or the Mormons would come by and he would just kill them with critique and just kick them off his property. And I'm like, oh, I don't know if I want to share with him. Well, it came towards the end of his life. I was friends with him for a few years, sharing the gospel with him. Went to the hospital. He was on his deathbed. And the doctors were telling the family, they're like, he's, he's done. His oxygen levels are dropping. He's done. And I went to be with the family, and the family came out to the waiting room. They're like, Matt, go say goodbye. He's, Cliff's dying. And I remember sitting there thinking, there's no way. There is no way this can be the case. No, there's no way. God, I believe that you, you can heal him. Like, I've shared the gospel. He hasn't known. He, he needs to know you before he dies, I found myself in this desperate situation. I'm like, I, I literally can't physically save him. And God, I have spent so much time praying and asking you to save him. And you haven't. God, this can't be the way it ends. And God was just burdening me. But he was also, and I was saying, God, I believe that you can do this. And in that moment, God convicted me. He's like, man, I know, I know you know that. I can, but do you believe that actually I want to do this in this situation? Like, do you want his salvation as much as I want it? And in that moment, God convicted me of my lack of faith and gave me some faith. It was like, similar to that, the, the, the guys in the boat, the disciples in the boat, like, are you still without faith? Like, come on, Matt, ask me. I want to do this. And I remember changing my prayer, and I'm like, God, I not only believe you can, good theology tells me you can, God, but now in this moment, I feel that you're telling me you want to do this and you will do this. God, I believe that you will. And so I went back in there, said goodbye to him, and I'm like, I don't know. God, I believe you will, but it doesn't look good. That night, his oxygen levels came back up. The next few days, he recovered slightly, and then I went back in, I shared the gospel with him, and it was like something different was in him. And he received the gospel, he repented, he believed, and two weeks later, he died. 
And I'm like, and the thing that I loved about that is God's convicted me of my lack of faith in that moment. And he's like, you're, des- you're in this situation. You know that there's nothing doctors can do, nothing the family can say. There's nothing you can do. You've tried everything. Now, watch me. That's what faith is all about. Watch When you're in this, these moments where there is no one else to turn to. But the problem that I run into in my times with the Lord in prayer is I sometimes, I don't think God's an unrighteous judge. I don't think that. But I don't think he's a good, good God all the time. I'll sing that he's a good, good father. But I'll come to him and I'm like, God, I'm praying this to you. I'm begging, but it's not happening. So you're trying to teach me a lesson. It's some sin in me. You're trying to do something, and yeah, that's why this is happening. This is why this prayer is not being answered. There's something, there's some maybe underhanded thing you want to do, and I know it's for my good. All things work together for my good, but you're trying, I I don't assume evil on God, but I don't assume that he really is a good father. And so therefore, I don't pray boldly to him. I honestly think sometimes when I pray, I'm like, okay, God, you're not answering, therefore, there's some sin in me, there's some selfishness in me, so therefore, I'm not going to pray anymore. And so I start doubting his goodness, doubting his promises, and pretty soon, my faith starts to be unsettled. But the heart of God that is totally different than the heart of this unrighteous judge is, like, he really likes us. God really enjoys us. He's not at all bothered at by us. He wants us to cry to him day and night. And as it says, will he delay long over them? Like when I see my kids have a real need, a real need, and they say they need everything, but when it's a real need, I want to rush in. I want to help. My heart is to be there for them. And like it said in Luke 11, like a good father, if their son asks for bread, is he going to give him a serpent or a scorpion? No. So in prayer, as we come to him, we have to believe that God is so much better than this unrighteous judge and that God will speedily give us justice. He will not delay long over us. But look what it says here. But I tell you, verse 8, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, this is what he's asking for us from us. This is what he's looking to in us. When the Son of Man comes, Will he find faith on the earth? The first time that Jesus was here on earth, he was looking for faith. Like all those stories that I shared with you, he was looking for faith. And when he comes again, he's going to be looking for people that have faith. I mean, people throughout history were, are more or less looking at God and saying, I don't believe you. That's impossible. But God's people look to him and say, you know what? That's possible. Like, I believe God, you can do it. You think about Hebrews 11, by faith, Abraham, by faith, Rahab, by faith, Noah. They did all these things by faith. They, they, they looked at the situation, then they looked at God, and they're like, impossible situation, possible God. God can do this. God is good, and his promises are true. Do you pray that expectantly? Let me put it to you like this. Are you, like, surprised when God answers a prayer? You're like, no way. Like, I prayed for this? And it happened. Isn't that crazy? Shouldn't it be the other way around? Like, I prayed and it didn't happen. Like, 
Why didn't it happen? Like, God, you said this in your word, and I'm looking at the situation. I know this is what you want, and you haven't. Shouldn't we be more confused by his unanswered prayers versus like these blown away, like I literally prayed that God would come through for me financially this month, and it happened. Isn't that crazy that God's good? Isn't that crazy that he saw my need? That's, that's mine. That should be so normative in our prayer life. Like we just expect God to come through for us. But I find myself like continually like amazed, like, whoa, no way was God good once again. Like, I'm like, I'm so short-sighted and I lack so much faith I often find myself convicted just being like, wait, God, you are good. You do hear my prayers. You do care for me deeply. So what are we to do with this? How do we become like that friend, that neighbor? How do we become like this desperate widow? What I want to finish with is just talking about how we can live a life of desperation and dependence. What would that look like? Because we might not always find ourselves in a situation like this widow, right? How do we live instead in a rhythm of desperation and dependence upon him? So with desperation, let's talk about that first. You think of what David says in the Psalms. He says, the one thing that I have, the one thing that I seek after is to dwell in the house of, the, house of God, You think of what the other psalmist said. He says, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is my strength, my heart, my portion forever. Like that's what we're moving towards. That's what we're trying to align our heart with, our lives with, the heart of those psalmists. So most of us, we'd rather have peace, serenity, tranquility in our lives. But God wants to live, us to live like there's no other backup plans, there's no other options where we live like he is the only one that can meet our need. And I would say that's what the gospel message should do to us daily. As you think about the gospel that initially saved you, when you, before you were saved, you thought you had life figured out, right? And all of a sudden you heard the gospel And it made you desperate because you're like, whoa, I have sin in my life. Whoa, I can't save myself. And you had that first moment in your life of you're desperate for salvation. The gospel shows us our need. It shows us our selfishness, our hopelessness. It shows us our sin. And the gospel makes us desperate for Jesus, where we see that he's our king, our savior, our Lord. So we experience that first moment of spiritual desperation. Well, do you realize that's the rhythm of Christianity? Is starting each day just realizing like, God, I cannot do this without you. Like, God, I need you. I know I have enough track record in my life of seeing what it's like to live in and of myself, by myself. God, remind me, I need you. So that desperation leads us to a place of dependence. So at our church in Sacramento, we have three values. Be with God, live as family, and love like Jesus. Those are our three values that we try to work into the culture of our church. That first one, be with God. When we came up with that one, we were trying to be intentional with making it a very dependent command. 
Not love God, not serve God, not obey God, but be with God. Like, we need to abide with him. So as you think about this culture, everything in this culture is telling us to be more and more independent, right? Everything. We have even a day that we celebrate with fireworks about our national independence, but even kind of our individual independence. And everything in this culture tells us that maturity is going from a state of dependence to a state of independence, right? That's what maturity is. You have a baby, it's born, it can't do anything, can't feed itself, can't go to the bathroom by itself. It, can't, it, like, it just lays there. The baby can't do anything. It's immature. And as the baby matures, it can walk, it can talk, it can take care of itself. Once the, he or she gets to 18, 20, 25, they get to that point that they are mature. They can stand on their own two feet and take care of themselves. So we say that maturity in this world, is going from a state of dependence to a state of independence. You get that Christianity is just the opposite? We go from a state of independence, thinking we got this, I got life figured out, I know what to do, I know how to be successful, and then God humbles you, and maturity in Christ is going from a state of independence to a state of greater and greater and greater dependence. That's what prayer is. Prayer is just an expression of dependence. You're just coming to God. You're like, God, I can't. I need. I help, help me. You're, you, you read a verse like 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. You're like, no, duh. Like, that's not a command. That's just like a way of life. That's just common sense in life. Like, I don't have answers. I need you. God wants us to be that type of people that are dependent that are desperate. As Paul says, we need to be people that walk by faith, not by sight. But is it not true that most of the time we're walking by sight, not by faith? Like, think about some of those situations that you pray for. Like, my eyes tell me, my eyes tell me that this relationship is unrestorable beyond repair. But God's eyes tell me that he is able to restore anything. My eyes tell me that someone cannot get saved. But God's eyes reminds me of all those people, even like Paul in the Bible, that was the chief of all sinners. I'm going to share this story. I asked Jose, my friend, uh, he came with me today, his story of salvation. He came to know Jesus last year. And we were meeting, we were hanging out, we were walking together four or five years, talking Jesus. And he's like, I want to believe, but I can't. I want to believe, but I'm just not there yet. And I remember praying and praying and others in our church praying and praying and praying. And it was making sense, but he's just like, I'm not ready to surrender and I remember going to God, I'm like, God, I have shared the gospel this way, that way, this cute analogy, this other analogy. I've, sh have, I've had him build a relationship with this person who can share the gospel this way. Like we have bombarded him with the gospel and he still doesn't believe God. We've done everything, like we cannot do anything. And I remember just praying with some other people. We're like, we, God, you got to save him. And I remember one day he texts me and he just said, I'm ready. I'm like, ready for what? He's like, I'm ready to meet Jesus. And then I remember sharing with him. I'm like, okay, I just need to make sure he actually got saved. Like, so we went out, 
we got some Mexican food and he said, and I was sharing the gospel with him. Again, I'm like, do you believe this? Do you believe this? I'm like, how do you feel about all this? And he's like, you know what? When I hear all that truth now, I'm just thankful. I'm like, dude, you get it. You got it. Who did that? It was God. It was God. I kept thinking it was like, I'm going to share it with him and it's going to be cute and cool and it will just, like I'm a preacher, like it's going to make sense to him. And God's like, no, 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 I'm the God who saves. I'm the God who restores. I'm the God who gives sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf. I'm, you're, you're just a cracked pot, Matt. You're just a vessel, just like, come to me. So I want you to, as we wrap up today, I want you to think about those situations that you're in and God is saying to you in those moments, similar to the disciples on the boat, when they were in that storm and water was coming in and beating and they were scared to death and Jesus said, are you still without faith? Think about those moments in your life where you're just like, God's saying, but are you gonna trust me? Like, are you gonna believe in this moment that I am good? He's not trying to shame us. He's not trying to condemn us. He's not trying to make us doubt our salvation. Don't go there. I go there sometimes with myself. I'm like, God, if you're not answering this prayer, am I really saved? Then don't do any of that garbage. He's for you. He likes you. He loves you. He is, he's so into you. He loves you so much. But he's just saying to you, just believe me. Believe me. Don't believe what your eyes are telling me. Just, just believe me. Just trust me. Like, think of those marriages that are busted and broken and you're like, divorce is the next step. Do you believe and even expect God to redeem that marriage? Do you expect God to bring hope, like true hope to the depressed, to those that are abused? Do you believe you're here in a city? We're in a city center. We live in an inner city of Sacramento. Do you believe that God can bring change in areas of inequality and injustice? Do you believe that neighbor of yours that no one knows and everyone doesn't like, God can save, God can change? Or let me just speak to you, Solano, as we wrap up. Do you believe that God has a good purpose for you in this season? Do you believe that your faith can uniquely grow unlike at any other church because of this difficult season that you as a church are in? Solano, does God want to show you what dependence really looks like in this season right now without a lead pastor as you literally come alongside of one another? And Solano, does God want you to embrace the uncertainty and the instability and to be okay with some of the questions that you don't have answered because you know that God is good and he wants to do something sweet and something deep in this church? So let me pray for us as we wrap up. Father, we ask that you would make us more desperate and dependent. And Father, when we, when we are being cocky and arrogant and when we are just not going to you, Father, when we are not being like the persistent widow, when we're just, when we have that doubt like the disciples often did, 
Lord, I pray that in those moments, you just give us a window into who you are, into your heart, your posture, that you're for us, that you love us deeply, that you enjoy us, that you like us, that you don't want to linger long, that you do want to answer us speedily. So Father, give us the faith to believe that you're gonna do something good in our lives. And Lord, I pray specifically for those in this room that are facing something that is just, it, it just sucks and it's hard and it feels hopeless. Lord, I pray that you would bring hope and that you bring comfort. Pray that you'd bring healing and that you'd bring help, Father. And Lord, I pray for this church during this season. May you strengthen it with a robust faith, Father. I pray that Solana would rise up, that it would be an example in this community. Father, I pray that this church would be a beacon of hope. It would be a light on the hill. Lord, that people would see this people to be zealous for good works, that they would see in the midst of this trial that joy that James and Peter talks about, that you would give them joy that is inexpressible. So Father, thank you for being a good God to us. Thank you for seeing us in our situations. Thank you for having compassion on us and hearing us and answering our prayers. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Pastor Matt, for the encouraging word that uh, 